Huckabee. How to save America by loving your enemies. Hockey great Mike Fisher is catching deer. And the legendary Crystal Gale performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! All right. Man, it's alive in here tonight, and it ought to be, because tonight marks our 100th episode of Huckabee on TBN. Yeah, this is a milestone that we are proud didn't become a millstone for the network, because your loyal viewership has made the show a great and growing success, and we are genuinely grateful to you, our faithful viewers, for what we hope will be many years of bringing information inspiration, encouragement, and even some entertainment your way. We've got a terrific team of people that you never see, but these are the real workhorses of this show. That picture right there gives you a little idea of how many people it takes to do this show every week. And with 100 episodes, we've already lasted almost two years longer than many of the Democrats who were running for president, but already flamed out six months before the Iowa caucus has even started. So, that brings me to a thought. Why is it that most of the people running for president are currently employed by the taxpayers to do a job that they don't show up for anymore, but they're still paid their full salary, healthcare benefits, vacation and staffing, courtesy of suckers like you and me? Now, just so you know, I did not run for president the first time until my term as governor was completed. And the second time, I didn't run until several months past the time that I walked away from my radio show, my Fox TV show, the speaking circuit, and board positions with several corporate and nonprofit organizations. But I looked around on the stage when I ran in the Republican primary, and now I'm watching the Democrats, both parties, and I see that most of the people running for president already have jobs that the taxpayers are paying for. And if their presidential ambitions turn to dust, kind of like mine did, then they just keep on getting that same paycheck. So my proposal is this. If you run for any office other than the one that you currently hold, you got to resign the office you hold in order to pursue the one that you've decided you'd rather have. Because... I mean, if you aren't confident enough that you're going to win and you're unwilling to step away from taxpayer-funded security, then you shouldn't run at all. You see, it didn't seem right to me that I stood on the stage having given up every dime of income I had, living off my own personal savings while being surrounded by candidates whose salary and benefits I was also having to pay for as a taxpayer. I mean, let's face it, most of us have never had a job where we didn't have to show up for work but still got paid. And certainly, we've never had a job where we could spend almost all of our employer's time out looking for a different job. Most of the candidates don't show up at their jobs as members of Congress, senators, governors, or mayors, yet we still pay their salaries and pay their generous health plans and even contributions to their retirement. And if they lose, no problem. They still have the office they ran for in the first place to fall back on. I just wonder if anyone in Congress would ever have the audacity to introduce legislation that if you wish to run for something other than the position you already asked for, you got to resign and let someone else do it while you pursue the office that you now think you'd rather have. And if you don't become president or whatever else, then you got to start over and see if the voters trust, trust you enough to put you back in the job that you once begged them to have, I wonder. <laughs> I am still amazed that this is episode 100 of my show on TBN. You know, if you live to be 100, that is a big deal. And as a couple, 
if you live to celebrate a 100th anniversary, hey, you're Abraham and Sarah, okay? <laughs> a miracle of biblical proportions. Now, while we wish we could fit all of the memories that we've made on this show over the past two years into one feature story for you, well, I'd take over 200 hours. So we're gonna show you just a few of the highlights in this whirlwind review starting right now. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Buckle up, sit tight, we have a great show. The real question is why there is this massive double standard in the media. To make this interview really interesting, you and I have both taken Ambien. Okay, and, let's uh, do it. <laughs> Coming to you. Where did the name Rascal Flats come from? <laughs> Kids today in school, they're not getting history. And somehow you are a white supremacist? I'm, I'm not figuring that one out, Candace. You know, one day I might be a sit-down comedian or something. <laughs> you should have gone into politics. You would be perfect right there. You, you had such an opportunity. What do you call this outfit, anyway? This is ranch dressing. <laughs> oh, they're freaking out now. I just want to celebrate another day I was a preacher's kid growing up, which would explain these leather pants. Miss Pelosi, build that wall. <laughs> I'm having the most fun that the law would allow. We are going to make the Avengers great again. This brought together people all over the political spectrum. I don't know what your future is because you haven't told me, but I'm anxious to hear about it. I guess it's true what they say. You can't keep a man down good. Until next time, that's all, folks. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed that as much as we have enjoyed making these moments on this show, which is growing dramatically in audience each and every week. Thank you for being such a great viewing audience. And for those of you who are here in our studio, why don't you help me give our viewers at home a great big hand for watching. hope that those of you at home watching will come and be a part of our studio audience. These folks really have a lot of fun. We're also hoping for several hundred more episodes as the Lord and time allow, and hopefully we'll have plenty. Well, all of the constant political infighting and media attacks on our president and politicians from both sides of the aisle has become pretty stressful and wearying to most Americans. I recently had the chance to sit down with the former president of the American Enterprise Institute and currently a faculty member at Harvard. He's Arthur C. Brooks. We discuss what he believes is our best chance to stop the culture wars and save our nation. Arthur, it's a delight to have you here. And I want to get right to this. That there are a lot of people today who can't even talk to relatives and longtime friends because their political views are so different that it's turned them into virtual enemies. What's going on in this country? 93% of Americans hate how divided we become as a country. We have to find a solution to it, but we first have to diagnose the problem, which is your question, and I believe the problem is a, a culture of contempt. It's holding people who disagree, simply disagree with our political views as if they were completely worthless, turning them into enemies where they shouldn't be enemies, where they should simply be people who disagree with us. You know, I, I used to love having conversations with people who are my polar opposite. And I found it very engaging. Mm. I got traction from that. Now, if I try to have a conversation with someone who really disagrees with me, they really disagree with me, and they want to scream and yell and call names, and, and it's, it's utterly unproductive. 
How do we fix that? Those of us that do a lot of television, the tendency is for somebody who knows your point of view, conservatives like you and me, to, to, to take all the things, anxieties that they don't like, let's say, about President Trump and say, well, you represent everything at this point. <laughs> so you're going to be getting it worse than most. But a lot of people are going to be hearing that as well. You know, they say, hey, you're a conservative, so you got to represent all conservatives. The way to fight that is, by, is basically by, by showing love where other people show hate. It's, you know, my new book is called Love Your Enemies. And, you know, it's funny. I was giving a talk about it at a university. I've been talking about it constantly the last couple of months. And a, and a kid comes up to me and says, that's a great title. How'd you think of that? <laughs> so, that's actually Matthew 544. <laughs> you know? It's got a little pressure. It's like, there. we need a better education system in this country. <laughs> a little bit. I didn't make that up. Yeah. But that whole point of, of, of Jesus' teaching is that when people persecute you, that's your opportunity to show grace. That's your opportunity to show warm-heartedness and love. And what I show in this book is, I'm, I'm no theologian, like I'm not a preacher like you, Mike, but I do know the social science behind this and the brain science behind this. And what happens is when, when somebody treats you with hatred and you respond with love, you have a chance of being persuasive, probably for the first time in years. You will be happier. I've got the proof. When somebody treats you with hate and you respond with love, you will have the, you'll actually have the endorphins coursing through your brain. You'll be a happier person. You might make the other person happier, and you will be a force for American unity. You will be the beginning of a social movement starting in your heart. In other words, win, 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 no lose. <laughs> you have no reason ever to answer hate with hate unless you're simply a, a slave to your own feelings. There is a chapter in your book. It's called, How Can I Love My Enemies When They Are Immoral? I love this chapter. A and you mentioned that there are five innate moral values that most people share. I I'm just going to quickly mention fairness, care for others, respect for authority, loyalty to one's group, and purity or sanctity. I thought that was very insightful. Uh, mm -hmm. Those are things that whether a person is liberal, conservative, wherever they are on the political spectrum, you say those things are pretty common to everybody. Why is that important? The two things, well, well it's important because actually the two ones, the two moral dimensions that everybody, liberal and conservative, share in common are fairness and compassion. The other three, which is respect for authority, uh, for loyalty to group and purity, those are things that conservatives have a lot more of than liberals. The problem is that we focus on those. So liberals say, you guys are a bunch of Puritans, you're Taliban. And conservatives will say to liberals, well, you guys don't care about those things, so you're a bunch of reprobates. Well, th the point is what we got to focus on are the things that we have in common, which is fairness and compassion to people who are weaker than we are. Now, it doesn't mean we define fairness and compassion in the same way, but if we actually respect the fact that we all care about those things, we can actually find not agreement, because agreement is not the goal in America. We need a competition of ideas, but we can come to some respect for the moral leanings of other people, and that's the basis of maybe a little common ground. I, I lament the loss of humor within our culture. It used to be that late-night comedians made fun mm. Uh, both Republicans and Democrats, and frankly, both Democrats and Republicans, laughed because it was funny. Today, a lot of the comedy is mean. It's not even comedy. It's political advocacy. Uh, you know, is there any fix for that, any way to try to persuade the people in the entertainment business to entertain us and quit lecturing us? Yeah, you know, that's actually one part of the problem. In my view, the bigger problem is that everybody's got this culture of being offended all the time. Hmm. You know, you go on yeah. college campuses, and we shouldn't make stupid or offensive or sexist or racist jokes, obviously. I mean, that's just being a good person. Yeah. But anything that you talk about, I mean, everybody's so quick to take offense. I think one of the key things that we need to do is laugh at ourselves a little bit more. I, I, I tell the story in the book, you know, um, I was driving into New York City uh, through across the, up the New Jersey Turnpike, and before I went into the Lincoln Tunnel, some about three or four years ago, there was a billboard. It was just, it was right before Christmas, beginning of December, and, and it said, it had a picture of the three wise men with a star. And I think, oh, yeah, yes, that's great. And then I read the billboard, and it said, you know it's a myth. This year, celebrate reason. And it turns out the billboard had been placed there by the American atheists. <laughs> and you know what happened? I, I just started laughing. And the reason I started laughing is because, look, nothing's going to turn me away from my Christian faith. You know, that's not going to shake it. I'm not going to say, oh, that's true. I'm a moron. It's, it's kind of clever and funny in its way. It, you know, it's not, it's, the point is, 
there's no reason for me to get offended. There's no reason for me to start hating my atheist friends or, or to start questioning my faith. We got to lighten up in America today, don't we? I think we do. Your book is a wonderful reminder of that and a great prescription for people to kind of take a step back and look at it. I, I hope people will read the book. It's called Love Your Enemies, A Prescription for Our Toxic Culture. And boy, is it ever. So you can find the book online along with Dr. Brooks' newsletter, podcast, and more. It's at arthurbrooks.com. Right there on your screen. Write it down. Well, one thing I know is that Keith Bilbrey, our ever-present announcer, would love to tell you who's going to be coming on the show next. So, Keith, take it away. Well, coming up, former pro hockey star Mike Fisher heads into the great outdoors. Then more Huckabee highlights as we celebrate our 100th episode. Plus, head of International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, Yael Eckstein, and Grammy-winning legend Bristol Gale performs on Huckabee. Welcome back. I don't know if you noticed, but in addition to Trey Corley and the Music City Connection that we are fortunate to have every week, we have an amazing group of string players that are joining us for the whole 100th show tonight. And they are terrific. Well, you probably know my next guest is the former captain of the Nashville Predators hockey team. Maybe you might have uh, possibly heard of his wife, country music sensation Carrie Underwood. You've heard her sing and do her thing. Well, now he shares his love for hunting and God's great outdoors through his lifestyle apparel brand called Catching Deers. Would you please welcome Mike Fisher? You know, I am so happy to have you. You are about the biggest sports deal in all of the Nashville area from the extraordinary time you had uh, with the Predators hockey team. And uh, Nashville loves Mike Fisher. Oh, thank you. But I got to be honest with you. I don't know diddly squat about hockey. I went to a couple of games once, and the only thing I understood was the fights. That I got. But That's growing, the best part. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in Arkansas. You know, we didn't have any ice. We didn't have any hockey. Yeah. So anyway... But what I love about what you're doing now, this is, now this is up my alley, yeah. hunting and fishing. And boy, that's a transition from hockey. How on earth did you make the jump from hockey to hunting? Uh, you, you know what, it, it really was all the Lord. I mean, I've always loved hunting and fishing yeah. um, growing up, and I didn't know really what I would do after hockey other than more time with my family and kind of figure out what kind of God had for me. But um, just at the right time, he sent uh, one of my city buddies into hunt camp to ask the question, have we caught any deers? <laughs> and well, and caught it, any most, deers. most hunters yeah. have, you know, yeah. most hunters have heard that, but um, we, that, that started in hunt camp. Just one of our city, city boys had never hunted. I invited him to camp kind of for fellowship. We do a lot of guys together and um, people and friends and, and try to make it. Uh, it's kind of for me after hockey, because some of the things you miss when you retire is, um, the camaraderie of of the guys and team yeah. and um, but the hunt camp would get that actually my my hunt camp I have one in Kentucky and I made lockers for everyone with with nicknames so they have their own <laughs> stall you get ready and so I try to make it like hockey so <laughs> but, but you know you don't come away with uh, you know facial injuries and teeth missing oh I don't know bow hunting you know <laughs> you never know you know I've seen some of the videos that uh, are on your website and they're hilarious watch this hey fellas catch any deers proud to introduce catching deers the brand that stands up to this phony phrasing, not by lashing out, but by embracing it for the ridiculousness that it is. There's a lot of unrest out there, and us hunters need to stick together. I shoot a stick and string, Uncle Bob shoots a lever action, and How are ya? Pat over there shoots a vintage cannon. No, no, not that guy, the other one. Hello there! That was a test. Pat's not with us, he's a vegan and drives a Prius. Over here! Think back to all the times you've been asked if you caught anything when hunting. There's a lot of great responses, but the best one might be a deep sigh and a great hat. Hey, the best defense is a good offense. 
They're really funny stuff, so I hope people will go and uh, take a look at those on your website, because it's, it's great stuff. Yeah, we, we kind of say we take, uh, we take ourselves lightly and our hunting seriously, and we want to make people laugh. I mean, especially in hunting and fishing, sometimes it can get a little bit, um, it may lack a little humor, so we try to bring that. And all, we also bring our faith to it. We're all, everyone in our company uh, are strong Christians that really want to use that to encourage people to get in the outdoors and enjoy it. That's how I really connect well with with, uh, with God, and we've tried to use that the best we can. So. You know, Mike, I think a lot of people don't understand that to have a balanced life, we have to have a relationship with God, mm -hmm. with ourselves, with each other, but also one of the missing components is a relationship with creation, the mm -hmm. things God made. One of the reasons that I love hunting and being in the outdoors, it gives me that perfect balance of being able mm -hmm. to be with Him, with friends, get to know myself, and also being in the beautiful natural setting that God made and cannot be improved upon by anything yeah. man will ever make. Oh, no question. I've always, ever since I was a little kid, I would go out with my dog, with my pellet gun, and, and I would just walk in. I was no. like seven, eight years old, and I just loved being out, whatever it was, God put that in me, I just loved being outdoors. And recently, this past week, we were in Wyoming in the mountains with my mm -hmm. wife and, and our family, and it's just like, this is crazy. God didn't have to do it, but he did. And um, and that's why I love being outdoors so much and hunting and fishing. And I do have a duck lease in Arkansas, so I'll be there this, this year. So, uh, Do you need anyone to come <laughs> hunt? Hint, hint, hint. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the Bible says you have not because you hint not, so I'm hinting. There you uh, go. The, <laughs> yeah. If you've got hey, an empty slot in the duck line. You're welcome. Anytime. Yeah. So, you know, the, Arkansas, of course, is genuinely the duck hunting capital yep. of the world, and it's because of all the rice fields in East Arkansas and the water sources and two of the flyways where the mallards come down out of Canada, your home country. So, That's right. Uh, yeah, you know, we sent them all this way. You know, God we're... bless the Canadians <laughs> for sending right, those yeah. mallards down our That's way. That's right, yeah. So what is your, do you have a favorite thing you like to hunt? Is it deer, duck, turkey? I always, so with my hockey schedule as a young kid, the first thing I ever hunted with my dad was deer. Yeah. And we would go with my uncles, my mom's side of the family, to be at hunt camp. So I always loved deer hunting. And I mostly bow hunt now. I love bow hunting. But I do That's have... He-Man <laughs> stuff, Mike. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about shooting a bow. It's just <laughs> relaxing. But, um, but I, I do love bird hunting. I love turkey hunting. Yeah. Uh, waterfowl. I'm just kind of getting into now that I'm retired and have a little bit more time. So... But I, I, yeah. Somehow, looking at you and the word retirement, it really, <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> well, everyone says, well, what are you doing with all your time now? It's like, well, I still have lots going on. And, you know, I travel a lot with my wife and family and, um, you know, tour. And I do lots of other interests and stuff. And my wife says I have too many hobbies. So hunting is not I turn that into, you know. No, but hunting stuff. is not a hobby. That's you tell, true. tell your wife that hunting and fishing yeah. are not hobbies. They're God's gift. Uh, that he wants us to participate in. She, you know, and when I leave the house now, it's like work, work, work. It's, you know? Does she buy no, that? Job. Come on, Mike, she doesn't <laughs> buy that. <laughs> For some people, hunting is controversial. And, and I, don't, I don't understand that because I've grown up with it. But I don't think they understand that it's really not uh, anything other than going out and seeing the world that God made, and it's bringing home food for your family. I mean, I, I don't go hunting just to take a, uh, you know, an animal or a bird, but it, it's about putting yeah. that uh, meat on my table, which I find incredibly yeah. exhilarating to know that, you know, something that God created, it's part of that circle of life, yeah. and it's exhilarating to be able to uh, to share that with friends and family. No question. I mean, I, I would say if you ever get anything, it's icing on the cake because the whole experience is all about being outside, being with friends. You know, part of our company is, and we'd like to show videos, we always like to be together. And it's just a conduit for a relationship, and which is you know, hunting is. And yeah. It's just about hanging out and having a good time with your friends. And, um, you know, always early bow season, we always do Bible studies in the morning. We hunt in the evenings. And, you know, that's just kind of what, that's what it's all about, you know, and not just about, you know, killing things. And one of the things I appreciate, you always put faith front and center, Mike, in what you do, even in your hunting and fishing. I think it really honors God and your uh, commitment to put him first. And that's such a powerful witness of your own personal life. And God bless you for that. It's, it's refreshing. Yeah, thank you. Truly refreshing. Thank you. Yeah. I've, I've definitely been surrounded. I've had a great example at home. My parents are awesome. And 
I've been surrounded by, God's put so many people at the right times and challenging times in my life. I've struggled, I've tried to, made mistakes, and, um, but um, Nashville's my home now and I love it and so many, we have a great church and so many people that support us. You can't do it by yourself, that's for sure. And well, I'm blessed, so. I hope people go to your website. We're gonna tell them where that is and also they can get your gear at Tractor Supply, yeah. which is a great, great company yeah. across the country. And uh, so if you're like me and you enjoy catching deers, then you're gonna love the hunting apparel and the important message of Mike Fisher's company. Here's their website. It's called catchingdeers.com. Better watch, it doesn't have a G on the catching. It's truly Southern. Catching Deers, look for it on your screen. Get it spelled right. You can also find him on Facebook and Instagram at Catching Deers, not to mention, as I said, on the shelves of tractor supply company chains across the country. We enjoyed having Mike Fisher here with us and don't forget Mike, duck season when it's coming up. Yeah. There you go. I got you, I got you. All right, Keith, what are we gonna be catching for our viewers on the rest of this show? Well, next, hilarious highlights on In Case You Missed It for our 100th episode anniversary, plus the woman calling Christians and Jews together, Yael Eckstein, and country music royalty, Crystal Gale sings on Huckabee. It's Matt and Lori. We're here to say happy, happy 100th birthday. No, I'm kidding. 100th episode. We adore you. Thank you for being a part of our TBN family. He doesn't look 100. He doesn't. That was great. Wrong. No, I do not look 100. Do not look a day past 94. I don't care what anyone says. Well, as we continue this 100th episode of Huckabee here on TBN, I want to thank the heads of the network, Matt and Lori Crouch, for entrusting me with a totally different kind of show that has ever been a part of the TBN lineup. What a blessing and joy to be a part of this great show that would not have happened without their support. Well, if you had told me or any of my cohorts on the show would be decked out in sashes, tuxes, and tiaras, I would have considered wearing my patriotic romper that the staff gave me last week for my birthday. But I will tell you, I will never probably wear that romper ever, ever, ever in public. I, I want you to take a look, first of all, at Keith Bilbrey, who is not only in a tuxedo, uh, table for eight, sir, but he's wearing a tiara. I have no idea what that means. It probably can't be Is good. It catching the light just right? Yeah, oh, it's catching the light all oh, right. Oh, yeah. And then over here in the music section, Trey Corley, for reasons that are known only to God and Trey, is wearing a sash like a pageant participant. I don't can you, know. Can you do the pageant hands. wave? Oh, you've got it. He's got it. You've got it. Keith, he's. He may want to borrow that tiara from you. I think he's got it down. All we need is a parade, man. That's right, but I do have an appropriate ball cap for the occasion. Oh, you get the ball cap. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not wearing anything that's as humiliating as what you guys have had. Well, this is the point in the show where we usually give you several stories that are really unbelievable, but true. And then we also give you an unending onslaught of puns, dad jokes, and just plain bad jokes. So tonight, we thought we'd look back at just a few of the most memorable stories that we all laughed at together, starting with a Christmas time remembrance on a little segment we call In Case You Missed It. And just in time for Christmas, KFC unveiled the KFC fire log. Now, this is a fire log that smells like Kentucky Fried Chicken <laughs> when you burn it. I'm I don't make this stuff up, it's true. A KFC spokeswoman said, this winter we're bringing all the things we love, family, friends, 
and fried chicken together around the fire with our scented fire log. That's right, we all love the aroma of burnt chicken coming from the fireplace. The famous 11 Herbs and Spices Fire Log is available at kfcfirelogs.com for a limited time only. I bet that's right. <laughs> I can't help but wonder if the fire log is finger licking good. Our next story from our Love on the Rocks file. Heartbroken and hard drinking Jeffrey Tomerlin was stumbling along in Nashville of course he was, when he spied his ex sitting in a car with her new boyfriend. Oh, I know this sounds like a country music lyric, but it's all true. Tomerlin was on the rise, so he did what any drunken and jilted person might do. He attacked his ex with a biscuit. <laughs> a biscuit. <laughs> Hurling it at her head, but missing. He then began punching the boyfriend's car hood and threatening to kill them. Police quickly arrived on the scene and arrested Tomlin for vandalism and assault. Perhaps, maybe assault with a breadly weapon. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if he even had enough dough for his bail. Now, if liberal thinking holds fast in this story, the left will mount a legal case to hold the bakers who created that biscuit liable for any injury or damage and Americans will soon need permits to carry their biscuits in public, and they butter be trained and have undergone a biscuit background check. Folks, there's one thing about it, we need biscuit control. First, they came for my Browning shotgun, now they want my biscuits. Another shocking report from the world of sports, Bulgaria's answer to David Copperfield and Michael Phelps reclaimed the Guinness world record for swimming along with your hands and feet tied while fully wrapped inside a sack. And I thought that was a one-time event for unwilling contestants conducted by the mafia. Well, 64-year-old Yana Petkov swam 2.1 miles, shattering the record of Indian fisherman Gopal Karvi who had held the record for five years, albeit only with his hands and feet tied and not inside a sack. Hey, Governor, I mean, uh, no fear. <laughs> Look I'm at you. I'm bringing that medal back to America. I'm in training now. Yeah. Uh, I got the moves. There's Keith. USA. 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 A, a burlap bag? Yeah, it's my outfit. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful, Keith. Thank you. Uh, Matches my eyes. By the way, I want to say, you ever wear that again, we're going to throw you in the local lake over here by Hendersonville. <laughs> oh, I don't get paid enough for this kind of humiliation, I'll tell you. No, and after that, you probably won't get paid at all. So I'm just wanting to let you. <laughs> and finally tonight, from our utterly amazing file. Did you catch that utterly amazing file? There is a group of cattle near Sanford, Florida who moonlight as police. I'm not making this up. You see, Sanford police were in pursuit of a stolen car when it crashed. The driver, Jennifer Ann Kaufman, took off into a nearby pasture, hoping to escape and enjoy the dairy air. It, it doesn't get worse, it has to get better from there. But little did she know that bovine justice awaited her in the night. The Seminole County Sheriff's helicopter assisting the police saw 20 cows chasing Kaufman back and forth across the field. The cattle eventually wore the carjacker down, so she crawled through a fence and surrendered to the Sanford police. <laughs> in, the, in the social media post, the Sheriff's Department thanked the cow cops saying, our herd of cattle provided law enforcement a big assist, repeatedly following and helping corral one who strayed onto their turf. And when asked about the successful apprehension, one of the cows allegedly said, please remind Jennifer that crime doesn't pay, but cream always does. Well, I hope you enjoyed just a few of the countless head-shaking stories that we brought you on this segment over the first 100 episodes. Hey, Keith, Mr. Tierra over there, 
Why don't you in your tuxedo tell us what's coming up next on this milestone show? What happened to it? It fell off. The call to stand together against anti-Semitism from Yael Eckstein and country music's Crystal Gale sings right here on Huckabee. Welcome back. Our next guest is a good friend of those who love God. She's also the head of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. It's a tremendous organization, and it promotes understanding and cooperation between Jews and Christians, as well as support for the nation of Israel and its people. Would you please welcome Yael Eckstein. Yael, so nice to have you here. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. I'm so happy to be here, Governor. We, uh, we want to welcome you to the Huckabee Show, and we're so very happy to be partnering with the organization over the next uh, several months to talk about the things that you guys are doing to bring real help to people in the land of Israel. Why is this so important? Well, it's an amazing thing. We live in awesome times where we don't only read the Bible, but we're able to take part in bringing biblical prophecy to fruition. And so the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is forefront in that, in bringing Jews home to Israel, just as Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophets spoke about thousands of years ago, bringing them in gathering from all four corners of the earth home to the Holy Land, to the Promised Land, and helping the orphans and the widows in Israel along with uh, the biblical commandment, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Mm -hmm. We build bomb shelters, security drones, and do whatever we can on behalf of Christians around the world who love Israel to give a tangible aid, a tangible message that the people of Israel are not alone. You know, I think it's pretty remarkable. You're an observant Jew. Your father started this organization, an incredible ministry, really, globally. Um, a lot of people might be surprised that some of the strongest supporters of Israel and the Jewish people are Christians all over the world. Why do you think Christians care so much about what happens to the nation of Israel and to the Jewish people? Ah, it's spiritual. Mm. You can't get into the politics of Israel without first connecting to the spirituality of Israel. And as we know, Christians believe that they are grafted onto the rich olive tree of Israel. And so the fellowship works with the Christian community and the Jewish community to say, these are historic prophetic times. Let's come together, just as Psalms 133 says, is that what it said? Yeah, you understood okay. that, right? <laughs> they didn't say it that way in the Baptist church where I grew up. I can tell you that right now. I'm sure that's what it says, but... That's probably how Jesus said it, though. It probably is. There's no doubt. You how know. good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together. And so that's what we mm. do. We, we look in the Bible and say, where does God want us? And that's what we do in practice, and we've been blessed from it. Your organization has done something, taken it to a whole new level by actually giving Christians an opportunity to do something tangible, to do something that is personal and practical to help people, rather than just say, yeah, we love you, we care, but actually to show it. Yeah. The fellowship is the largest philanthropic organization in Israel. Mm. What that means is that it's Christians who are providing the most aid to the people of Israel as far as basic needs and security. And so I remember speaking to a family in Sterot on the border with the Gaza mm. Strip, and yeah. they were telling me, when I ran into that bomb shelter and saw the sign on the wall that said, donated with love by Christians in America, mm. I remember it was this mother of four, and she said, I have to choose on a daily basis, am I going to stay with my four children because I'm not going to get them to the bomb shelter in time, or choose one child and run to the bomb shelter with them? Ooh. And it feels like the whole world is just criticizing Israel. It feels like the UN, the EU, the Arab Union, everyone's against Israel. But when I went in that bomb shelter, I knew that there are millions of Christians who stand with me. And that was the message. That's it. That's exactly what the fellowship does. What can people do if, if they say, you know, that strikes me as something I'd like to be helpful in? 
Right. How can they be a partner to you in that? Well, the fellowship is a grassroots organization, so our average gift is around $45 a month from individuals who want to be part of this movement, this community of people, individuals who otherwise wouldn't be able to get their voice out there in Israel, that they stand with Israel and the Jewish people. And through the fellowship, we come as a unit, as a community. And so you can visit www.ifcj.org. That's ifcj.org. And you can follow my daily Life in Israel on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Before we go, I want you to tell us what is going on with the anti-Semitic rhetoric and attitudes. We see it even from people who are in Congress. It frightens me because I know where that has led historically. Anti-Semitism isn't new. There's always been anti-Semitism. The Jewish people have always been hated. And it's a miracle that we're still here today to even tell that story. But what's awesome, that specifically the rise in anti-Semitism all around the world today reminds me, is that we are living in historic times for two reasons. First of all, we have the state of Israel, mm. God's promised land, the only country in the world that has a prime minister, a government, an army who has one concern, to protect the Jewish people. And the second thing that's historic is that for the first time in history, we're not alone. Mm. The Jewish people are not alone. We have millions of Christians who are standing with Israel, often even stronger than the Jewish mm. community. That's which, true. Which is upside down, yeah. absurd, but it's amazing. These Judeo-Christian values that America was founded on are coming to life. Israel and America are the greatest allies, but it's not just political anymore. It's personal. Christians who are raising their voice against their own Congress people to say, we don't agree with your anti-Semitism. I don't think that's ever been done before. And so I have hope. I have hope. Well, we do too. And we have great hope in what you're doing. And thank God for the extraordinary efforts you are, not only to bridge Christians and Jews, but to bring help to people who truly, truly need it. Yeah, well, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Now, friends, with the rise of anti-Semitism at home and all over the nation of Israel, there is and this has become an important time to stand with the Jewish people in their God-given home of Israel. Let me encourage you to learn more by visiting Yale and the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews at ifcj.org. That's ifcj.org. Also, Follow her on Facebook at Yale Eckstein. Go ahead, Keith. Well, next, legendary singer Crystal Gale tells us about her new country album and later sings right here on Huckabee. Welcome back. Well, my next guest is a Grammy-winning singer, member of the Grand Ole Opry, and a real-life country music icon. In 1977, she became an international household name with her number one hit, Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue. Well, she is back with an amazing new album, and it's called You Don't Know Me, But We Do Know Her. Please welcome the lovely, talented, and absolutely incredible Crystal Gale. Crystal, thank you so much. Delighted to have you here. Great to be with you. <laughs> Clearly, you've got a lot of fans in this audience, and you've got a fan on the other side of this desk right here. Well, I'm a big fan of you. Thank you. <laughs> well, now that we've had our little confab of... Uh, <laughs> but truly, your music has just transcended uh, so many people and uh, Grammy-winning Grand Ole Opry. But you hadn't been in the studio for a while, so what brought you to say putting a new album out. Well, you know, I, I've been in the studio doing different things, but I didn't realize it had been as long as it's been since I had a, a, a new CD, CD out. But uh, I went in with my son, Chris. Yeah. He, he graduated from Belmont University and in engineering and uh, music business, and I definitely wanted the business part, so we mm -hmm. can fall back on that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we just had a great time in the studio, and, and we decided to... Uh, we had to put it out. 
How cool was it to work with your own son putting this album together? Because that had to be, I mean, a great experience. Well, I wanted uh, Chris to see the type of music I grew up singing, mm -hmm. real country music. Yeah. And that's always been a part of my life. And, but, you know, a lot of people, they look at my songs and they think of M.O.R., which it was, Middle of the Road, and that was a conscious effort. Uh, you know, with my sister, she told me, uh, you know, quit singing her songs. You know, <laughs> so we have one Loretta Lynn, we don't need another. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but we right. also have a Crystal Gale and there's, there can't be another. <laughs> I mean, you had such a unique career that was completely separate from your sister Loretta Lynn. And you, you stood on your own feet with your own voice and your own uh, very clear mark in the music business. Well, I knew that uh, when I first started, it was Decca Records, it was my sister's label. Uh -huh. And I knew that I was really only there because of her and I could feel it. So I really needed to find someone who believed in me and United Artist Records, I mean, they were there. Uh, when my contract ended with uh, Decca, it was like, hey, come on over here. Do you get tired of singing the hits that you have had, I mean, you've sung them, I'm sure thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of times by now. Does it ever get to where you say, oh boy, here I go, I gotta do that one again? Well, there might be a few, but, <laughs> but I've always asked, I've been asked about Brown Eyes, and yeah. that song was so well written that I never get tired of singing it. In this new album, what are we gonna be able to look forward to? Because it is something completely unique and different and new. I'm excited about it. I want you to tell us well, what I, all you've got in it. I started out the album with a Ribbon of Darkness, mm -hmm. a Marty Robbins song, which I opened for Marty and very early on in my career. But also, it was the first song I sang on the Grand Ole Opry. And it was at the mm -hmm. Ryman, and I was probably about 17. Yeah, 17. I, yeah, and the I, opera. I mean, those were the days, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you also worked with one of the people that I consider one of the greatest, not just artists, but greatest people, and that's Buck Owens. Oh, yeah, Buck what Owens. What a great human being. Buck was great, and you know, I would be able to go to um, Angola, Indiana, by Clake Ranch, mm -hmm. and he would perform there, and every now and then he'd let um, my sister and, and myself get up on stage and sing with his band. I loved it, <laughs> and he was so great, and actually, I was about 16, and he, he called Mom, and wanted me to come out and be on his television show. But it didn't work out, you know, in the sense of I was pretty young and definitely she wouldn't let me up, go out there by myself. <laughs> well, good for her. I think if you're 16, <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, the fact that you were already recognized as having this extraordinary talent as a young teenager, singing at the Opry at 17, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's pretty high cotton, as we'd say in South Arkansas. You know, it's... Music has been a part of my life, my, my whole family. In Kentucky, it was music on the porch. Yeah. You know, and then we moved to Indiana uh, when I was about four, and it just went into the living room. Every Crystal Gale fan is gonna wanna get the new album called You Don't Know Me, uh, and I think we're even gonna do a tune from that, aren't we? Yes, I'm going to. Which Can't I'm wait. pretty happy about. <laughs> well, I'm gonna jam with a band in this incredible string section going into the break. Crystal Gale is going to get ready to perform, and you're going to absolutely love the song. You're going to love the album. You better get a copy of it, because if you're a Crystal Gale fan, and if you're not, what's wrong with you? So why don't, in the meantime, let's get Keith to tell you how you can get your own copy of Crystal's great new album. Crystal Gale's You Don't Know Me releases September 6th. Everywhere music is sold, like iTunes and Amazon. And you can even pre-order it at crystalgale.com. That's where you'll discover where to see her in concert as well. Coming up, country music icon Crystal Gale sings on Huckabee. After the show, you can watch an exclusive online performance of Crystal Gale singing her classic hit, Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue, along with Mike on bass. It's all after the show on Huckabee.tv. 
And now, here to sing an Eddie Arnold classic written by the legendary Cindy Walker, here's Crystal Gale with the title track from her album, You Don't Know Me. You don't know me. 